I don't even feel like I need to preach in this place. I don't know what it's like in at East St. John right now, but uh, people are just full of joy that the King is risen and the King is here and their stories have been rewritten. So I'm just excited on Easter. This is one of my favorite times to preach because we just get to talk about the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And so I have one task with you today. Uh, just real quick, for those of you who don't know who this guy is, my name is Brent. I'm the senior pastor here. And if you're new here, we're glad you're here. And if you're new in at East St. John, we're glad you're there. Hey, can we take a minute and welcome everybody in at Bayside Middle School? Hey, guys. Happy Easter. It's going to be a party in there. I, I want to just go on a, a little journey together today. It's a journey of about 12 inches, depending on how tall you are. I want to go from, from your head to your heart. And what I want to do, and I don't usually preach this way, but I'm going to spend a few minutes. For, for some of you people who might be new to this whole thing, maybe someone drug you out here, I want to appeal to your intellect today. And I want to just give you some just real stuff data and some real argument about this person who we call Jesus. And I want, to, I want to explain to you what happened and why we think this changes everything. And so if you'll journey with me, we're going to be in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, in the 16th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen for you, or you can find it on the internet. But we'll have it for you nonetheless. But So if you want to turn to Matthew 16, you can go ahead and do that. If you're really fast, we've got any old school church people here, like sword drills. If you can flip over to Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to read one little piece of scripture here just to get our minds in the right framework before we jump in. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 17, this is the words first of John, John the Apostle, who was the last living disciple at the time. This is about 60 years after the first Easter ever happened. And he's living in exile, and it had been about 60 years since he'd seen Jesus, and now he has this vision where Jesus appears to him. And this is the last time we have Jesus speaking on record about who he is. And so I want to read this. Because Jesus defines and just explicitly says who he is. Here it is in verse 17. John saying, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, now I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Some of your translations say of death and of hell. Behold, I was dead and now I'm alive forever and ever. I want to talk to you about who is Jesus and we're going to dive into that topic together today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you today that we serve a risen King. We thank you that right now as I speak, Lord Jesus, I know and many of us know as we open your word and as I proclaim it, you in some mysterious way by your spirit are going to speak to our hearts and our minds in a way that no human that I could ever speak. And so, Father, would you take these next few minutes and would you show yourself? Holy Spirit, would you reveal the Son to us like we've never seen him before? And we pray this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. If you're glad to be here, I want you to take a minute and I want you to welcome two or three people around you. Bid them happy Easter. He is risen, and then you can grab a seat. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. 
and grab a seat in at East St. John as well. Hey, quick question for you. Have you, Pastor Dan is full on greeting people still up front here. Have you, uh, have you ever received some news and received a story and when you received it, you got one version from one person and another version from the other person and you were left not knowing what to believe? You ever been in a circumstance or situation where you're like, look, I just don't know what to believe here. I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't know what to believe. You ever had that experience? Uh, maybe if you're a parent, you've had this experience. If you have multiple children. Uh, my wife and I experienced this a couple weeks ago. We were going to have a fun family movie night. That's all we were going to do. We're just going to have a little fun. That's all I was after. It's too much to ask. I'm going to rant right now. And so we were like, okay, kids, we're finishing up supper. We're going to rent a movie, a new cartoon. And so we're like, go down, clean up. So I head down after supper. And for those of you who don't know my family, my wife's name is Melanie. And we have three kids, three beautiful kids. Ava, who's eight, she's almost nine. Aiden, who's six, who's almost seven. And Alexander, who's one, who is almost two. So we're busy. Um, but uh, so, we, so I said, kids, go downstairs, get ready. We're going to come down and watch a movie. And so I come downstairs, and I just I went into the bathroom, and I found that one of my kids had been in there and didn't flush the flush. Somebody's like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> yeah, it was a real church where real people talk about real things. So I, they didn't flush the flush, and, I, and, I, and so I came out, and I confronted my two older kids. I said, okay, Ava, Aiden. Somebody went to the bathroom, didn't flush the flush, no big deal, but somebody needs to go in and, 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 and finish that stuff anyway. And so they both look at me and they're like, well, and I was like, well, who did it? And they, in unison, in unison, at the same time, wasn't me. And so, okay, here we go, okay. And so, my, so I say, it wasn't you, so it was neither one of you, neither one of you are claiming it. And they're like, no, it wasn't me. And so I'm like, really? Okay, well, I'm pretty convinced one of you aren't telling the truth right now, and that is an issue in my house. And so we're going to find out who did it. So let's do some detective work, kids. Um, mommy just got home from work, and uh, so I'm going to cross her off our list, and I'm pretty sure she wouldn't do that anyway, so mom's out. Um, number two, I know it wasn't me, because I'm me, and I know I didn't do that. So I'm going to cross me off the list. And I've been chasing Alexander around all day today, and we've been taking care of that on a whole other level. So I know it wasn't Alex, so it was one of the two of you. And they both still giving me two different stories like, nope, wasn't me, wasn't me. Well, somebody, it was somebody. And so I pressed back on them again. I was like, listen, someone's going to tell me the truth. And my daughter, who's a little sharper and swifter than her younger brother at this point, she, she knows what's about to happen. Movie night is in peril. Movie night may not happen. And so she goes, well, Dad, you know what? I didn't do it, but I'll take credit for it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe a little bit proud. She's like, oh, fine, fine. I did it. Like, I'll go flush the flush and wash my hands if that makes you happy. Let's watch the freaking movie, Dad. Like, like that's what my 8-year-old was doing. And I was like, honey, I appreciate you willing to lay down yourself for your, the greater love has no man than this, that he would, anyway, there's a scripture reference. And so she, she, she starts to claim it, and I'm like, honey, I know it's not you. And so I let it hang there for a second. And finally, my, I can see my, my six-year-old son, who's just got the softest heart ever, he, I can see him just starting to come undone. And fi finally goes, it was me! <laughs> I thought I'd tell this story because I'm not going to be able to tell these forever when my kids are teenagers and they're in here. But 
Have you ever, maybe you're a parent, maybe, maybe you've had a time at work or, or with a colleague where you're getting two different stories about the same thing and you did not know what to believe. I know you know what this feels like because you live in our world today and you are familiar with this thing called fake news. It's a real thing. The, the most powerful person on the planet tweets. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that the craziest thing ever? Like the person with the most authority in the world just spouts off things that we don't even know are true or not. Like has anybody ever just, you've watched TV and you just throw your hands up in the air. Like I have no idea what to believe right now. I watch CNN and they're peddling this angle and I watch Fox News and they're peddling this angle and PBS are talking about things no one cares about and we're just like, we're all over the place. You ever been like that? Like, and, and you start to have this realization as a human being in our world today that I do not know what to believe about anything. Because CNN is this, is a biased, there's a biased news reporter giving a biased opinion through a biased lens, through a corporate agenda that's making money off the news. So how on earth am I supposed to trust what they have to say? Has anybody ever felt like that? So you just want to like kick your hands up. I'm ranting right now. You just want to kick your hands up and be like, I don't know what to believe. And it's not just with the news. I know that's easy to pick on, but I mean, it's, it's with the mail, email, on a weekly basis for some reason. Maybe, this, maybe I need to like take them up sometime, but sometimes I get these emails. In fact, on a weekly basis, people offering me, they, they tell me, Brent, craziest thing. I'm so-and-so from such-and-such such a place, and I just received this massive inheritance, and I don't know what to do with it, so I want you to hang on to my money for me, and you can get back to me. Like, like you get these kinds of emails even snail mail is shady these days, isn't it? Like, I got a letter in the mail last week from a, an unnamed, I'm not going to just say the name, but an unnamed car dealership in our city. And I will just say, I don't have nice cars, but they, they, they sent me this handwritten letter that was photocopied. That should tell you something. <laughs> like, oh, thanks for taking the time to pen that out. And it said, Dear Brent, we're look we've been searching for you. We've been looking for just your vehicle because it's so special. And we want just your car to come in. If you'll just come in and we'll talk about it, we'll just buy it for like 10 times what it's worth. And you can walk out of here with a brand new car, no big deal. Right? Like that's, that's, we don't know what to trust, do we? And so what's happened is in our day and age, and if you're like me, and frankly, I don't think this is wrong. You're highly skeptical of anything you hear. And you should be. How can you trust what you're hearing? How can you trust that something is true? And so what that has done in our world is a couple of things. It's made us huge skeptics where we have a hard time believing any bold claims. I mean, conspiracy theory is broader and wilder than it has ever been. Anybody like just like to follow a good conspiracy theory? I mean, humans have always done that. There's actually some great theories about conspiracy theory that people would rather believe that there's this big master plan unfolding than people have the freedom to just be crazy. But that's another story for another day. But people believe these conspiracy theories. Like there are people who are like 9-11 is an inside job. JFK, that was an inside job. That, and he never died. He's still alive somewhere enjoying life. There, Elvis is still alive, people say. There are people who actually dispute that the Holocaust happened. Like, I mean, people are so cynical now that they actually dispute historical fact. There are people who still to this day, I mean, you don't have to look very far to see people who say the lunar landing never happened. In fact, some of you crazies are here right now. Like, like, I'm going to leave. This guy's a jerk. Like, yeah. yeah, like, you know, like the lunar land never happened. Like, I, Buzz Aldrin punched the guy in the face because he was so offended by that. Like, are you serious? I was on the moon and you're telling me I wasn't? Are you? Anyway, I'm ranting today. 
people don't believe the lunar landing, they don't believe 9-11, or people don't believe the Holocaust, or people have theories that, that Adolf Hitler faked his death. Like, people just can't believe bold claims because we live in a world where we're forced to be skeptics and cynics, aren't we? And so what has happened because of that is when it comes to bold claims, we're either too skeptical or we're too liberal in this, that we just believe, okay, you believe what you believe is true, I'll believe what I'll believe is true, and we'll just call it all true. And so we live in a world, we live in an age of skepticism or an age of relative truth. And so what's happened is nothing is really true. And so this is the conundrum we face when we talk about Easter. Because what we're talking about at Easter is one of the most bold claims you're ever going to hear. It's one of the wildest stories you're ever going to hear. And I want to just present to you that it's entirely historically true. And so I want to look at the facts today. And if you'll just go with me, I want, you, I want to appeal to your intellect for a few minutes. Because we are skeptical when it comes to this conversation about Easter. And I want to give you permission to be skeptical for a minute. And in fact, you as Christians, are, us as Christians, we are skeptical sometimes because here's the thing. We weren't there and we are born into a culture where if I don't see it with my own eyes, I just can't trust that it's real. And so we all deal with certain levels of doubt and skepticism when it comes to this whole great story of Easter where, where Jesus died and rose again. That's what we declare and we proclaim and we believe. But even the greatest Christians, we deal with doubt. And then when you step outside of people who would say, I believe in Jesus, they have even more doubts. That's why this time every year, Time Magazine does a piece on it. Newspapers do a piece on it. Uh, Discovery Channel, CNN, uh, History Network, they all are constantly getting to this story of Easter and who is Jesus, fact or fiction, history or hoax. You ever seen it? You ever seen the, I mean, if you haven't, you have not been on any media source whatsoever. This is the question that surfaces this time every year all around the world. People wonder who is Jesus. Well, here's the good news. We aren't the first people to ever have that dialogue. We aren't the first people to ever deal with doubts and questions about who the person of Jesus is. This was happening in Jesus' day. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus himself actually engages us in this dialogue about, okay, who do you think that I am? And I want to look at that for a couple minutes, and then I want to end by looking at Easter and why that's important, but why we need to resolve who Jesus is. In Matthew 16, the Bible says this in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, here it is, who do people say the Son of Man is? I love how Jesus answers his own question. You know that anytime Jesus answers a, or asks a question, it's not because he wants to know the answer, just setting you up there. It's always for your benefit, but we'll, we'll move on. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? His disciples replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others Say Elijah, coming back from the dead maybe. Some say Jeremiah or a great prophet. Basically, they say the jury's out, Jesus. There's all kinds of opinions about who you are. We, we don't really know. I mean, the disciples have an opinion, and we'll get there. But, but really, common thought, just like in our day, some people think he's this. Some people think he's that. Some people think he's fact. Some people think he's fiction. Some people think he is who he says he is. But the jury was definitely still deliberating 
who Jesus was, and Jesus engages this conversation. Now, I want to engage this conversation together, but we here today in the 21st century, we actually have to go a step further than the question Jesus asked. Jesus was standing in front of them saying, who do people say I am? But today, we actually have one more step to go. People aren't just arguing in our day who is Jesus and, and who Jesus was. People are actually deliberating and arguing about if Jesus was. There are myth theories about the person of Jesus that we're talking about. I want to spend a minute, and I want to just destroy and dispel the myth that would be in your mind that Jesus is not a historical figure. There are common myth theories that go, some of them are, are against biblical evidence, that people will say, well, the Bible doesn't support itself. It doesn't tell the same story. It's all over the place. And say, so that's obviously not. Or some people say that Jesus never existed at all, that he was a fabrication by some really smart people who tried to create a religion so they could control and compel people to do their bidding. Some people say that there was a historical Jesus, but he never did any of the things they say he did, and he didn't know he was God, and he didn't have any intentions behind it. He was just a guy, and that was it. And so there are these myth theories surrounding if Jesus even was a historical figure. And so I want to look for a second at some evidence for you. And I know, I know here on Easter weekend there are some people here who are still wrestling through, I don't even know if Jesus was, who is Jesus, what does this even matter? So I want to look just really quick, if you'll go with me, at some evidence for Jesus. There are a couple testimonies I want to look at. The first is this, the biblical testimony. I mean, the Bible tells the story. It tells it, and I want to say this, it tells it explicitly and consistently. The Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Bible, the first two-thirds of the book, it all points to this Jesus figure that crescendos. The story actually climaxes at Easter, which we celebrate today. And all of the Gospels, the Gospels are the four main accounts about what Jesus did. They all say the same thing by four different writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all say in their own language, in their own way, and from their own perspective, they say the exact same thing. Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He claimed to be God. He lived in virtual obscurity until about age 30. And then he spent three years ministering and teaching truths that nobody could even believe they were hearing. They were so profound. He did miracles that are to this day the most mind-blowing accounts that we can't even wrap our heads around. They all claim these things, and then all of their stories crescendo with this great, bold story about something that happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago where they say Jesus was whipped, beaten, and flogged by the hands of the Romans at the request of the Jews. He was nailed to a Roman cross, which is basically a wooden structure or a tree, and, he's, and there he bled out and suffocated and died. And then all four Gospels claim that Jesus Jesus died and he was buried and that on the third day, not after three days, but on the third day, he rose again from death and they saw him. So all, so all the gospels declare the same thing. So there's, there's biblical consistency and I want to just press that on you. Let me, let me read uh, Acts 10, Peter tells the same story that I just laid out. And he tells it over and over again in the book of Acts. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, a whole different player, he, he tells the exact same story. Look what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. What's the word gospel mean? Anybody know? I heard somebody from Bayside Middle School. Yes, good news. Good work. It means good news. I want to remind you of the good news I preached to you. Not fake news. This isn't Donald Trump tweeting. This is real 
news, it's good news, and I want to remind you of it for what you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if you firmly hold to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, the story I received, here it is, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12 disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are living, though some have fallen asleep. Now all have fallen asleep to this day. But you have got to see this in the Bible. And I want to press this back on you. If you ever talk to someone and they're like, well, the Bible doesn't tell the same story. Oh, yes, it does. It tells one story about Jesus. The whole Bible tells the same story about Jesus. And the Bible says that God's plan for salvation unfolded before the creation of the world. God had Jesus and Easter weekend in mind before anything even happened in creation. And the whole thing rolled out in perfect sequence. It says in the Bible, it says that at just the right time, at the the fullness of time Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. And so the, so the scriptures tell the exact story. So I wanted to dispel that myth. But most people, most intelligent people, they don't go toe-to-toe on, well, the Bible doesn't say, because the Bible does say. Most people will actually press that it's not the biblical testimony that we doubt. It's historical testimony we doubt. Well, history doesn't quantify Jesus in any way. There's no third-party third source that actually places Jesus where and when he said he is. That's also not true. In th- this is a fact. In the days of Jesus, there is perhaps no one who has, actual, who has better evidence and historical precedent for his existence than Jesus. It's actually overwhelming when you compare what the average person would have had as data on them in that realm of history. And I'll give you a couple sources in historical testimony. First is this. Is this in, uh, can you stay with me? Are you with me? I know, I know we're getting heady here. I feel I just, I had that check in my mind like you're getting into, you're getting into like school here, Brent. Care, careful now. Stay with me. This is going to help you. There are a few Jewish sources that talk about Jesus and they date Jesus. There's the Jewish Talmud, the Jewish Mishnah, and both of them claim the same thing. Jesus was a real man. He claimed to be God. He was a great worker of miracles. They both give him that, and they all say that he died at the hands of the Romans. Now, they don't say we we witness his resurrection, but they give the same details that the Bible gives, and they they don't come at it from a different angle. So there's the Jewish sources. Probably the best Jewish source is this guy named Josephus. Anybody ever heard of Josephus? He's probably the foremost Jewish historian in that area. He, era. He wrote this in 90 AD. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a, a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews, remember, this is a third party speaking, and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah, and when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, he's talking about when the Jews accused him, Pilate had condemned him to a cross. Those who had first come to love him did not cease. They stayed with him. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God have foretold these things, and a thousand other marvels about him. And watch this. And the tribe of the Christians, so-called, after him, still not disappeared to this day. 
So Josephus, this is some about 60 years after the resurrection and the first Easter, he actually claims, okay, this Christian thing, these people are for real, Jesus was for real, and what happened on Easter weekend was for real. This really happened. They place him there. Here's a third-party historical source. Okay, one more. The Jews also, the Jews place Jesus. You know who else does? The Romans. The Romans actually historically placed Jesus where we expect him to be on the landscape of history. Uh, there's, the, there's the Roman historian Pliny the Younger. He actually talks about Jesus being murdered at the hand in the bequest of Pontius Pilate. And then probably the most famous one is this historian named Tacitus. In 116 AD, he wrote this, and this was on the heels. Any, anybody remember their history? Uh, Rome experienced a great fire. Anybody remember this story? And Nero actually pinned it on the Christians. This is, this is, this is world history, y'all. This isn't just the Bible. Some of you are looking like, I didn't come for a history lesson. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm almost done this. Consequently, Tacitus says, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt of the fire and inflicted the most exquisite tortures. This guy is so twisted. The most exquisite tortures... You can, you can hear like the first century Roman in him, right? On a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. Talking about crucifixion. The extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. At the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Sound familiar? And most, the most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful have from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Seems like a great guy, doesn't he? But nonetheless, on the landscape of history, you have the Bible telling the story, and then you have the, the most verifiable historians of that day telling the same story. And I wanted to spend a few minutes here because I had to press this upon you, because this is what happens every time this year. You hear about the Easter bunny, and you hear about all these things, and what ever so subtly happens is this historical, mythological mist fills your mind, and when you think about Jesus, you think of him as kind of fable, like a fable almost. And it's really hard to place yourself there and remind yourself that this really happened and that this is historical fact. Like as much of a historical fact as, the, as something that happened last week that you witnessed. If you roll the clock back and you go over there, you will see the historical fact that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was nailed to a cross, claiming to be God. He died, was buried, and then the Christians claimed we found an empty tomb and he rose like he said he would. So you have to understand, first and foremost, first and foremost, you need to understand this, that Jesus is a historical fact. He is a historical fact. And the events surrounding him are fact. These things really happen. Get this. It was Jesus and these events that split history. I mean, we, we have B.C. and A.D. based on this one event. Like think about your birthday, whenever that is. 1983 is, my, is my, the year I was born. 1983 from what? From Easter. That's right. Jesus split history. So, something so significant and so profound happened 
that it affected history. So you have got to shake the myth and the, the historical mud and mist out of your mind when you think about who is Jesus and get him front and center. This is not Loch Ness Monster. This is not Santa Claus. This is a real historical fact and it did not happen a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. It happened in Jerusalem, a place you can go. You can still see the places Jesus walked and taught. You can see, still see where the temple was. You can see where they buried him. You can see where Golgotha was. You can see these things because it's real and it really happened. You've got to get this in your mind first and foremost. Jesus is a historical fact. So, let's, so now that we've resolved that, now that we know Jesus is, let's ask the deeper question. Who do you say he is? Because most people and most intelligent people, I would dare say, don't dispute that Jesus existed. And if you want to look in the history, you'll find he did. Most dispute actually happens around, well, I just don't know who he is. Like, I don't really know if he's really like the Lord of everything. Like, maybe he's just a good teacher. And that's what most people who don't believe in Jesus, they'll, have you ever been in a conversation with someone where Jesus came up and they're like, man, I can't stand Jesus. You haven't, have you? Because nobody dislikes Jesus. He never did anything to anybody. Like, like nobody dislikes Jesus. Come on. Like, because most people have a concept of Jesus that, well, he was a really good man and a great teacher. And what they do is they lump him in with other great historical figures like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Morgan Freeman. I mean, uh, Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Nelson Mandela, right? <laughs> he is now Morgan Freeman. Anyway. So, but most people, they get tripped up in this, well, I just don't know if he's really who he says he is. Maybe he's just good. And so the question isn't if he was, it is who he was. And, the, and it, it dials down between this, good or God? Is he good or is he God? And so Jesus asked this question to his disciples, who are people saying I am? And there was a mixed bag then. Ah, some people think you're a prophet. That's pretty good. Some people actually think you're not just any prophet. You're Elijah reincarnated. You're back from the dead. And you're like even better than ever, Elijah 2.0. And like th that's a great compliment. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with any of those things. And look what he does. He presses on them and he says, what about you? Okay, I don't care what people say about me. You have to make a decision. Who do you say that I am? Jesus actually presses the issue because here's why. He will not give you the permission to leave the jury out on the, well, maybe he's just a good man. And that's where most people actually choose to, to settle it. Most people won't say Jesus never existed. But what they will say is that, well, I really like Jesus. I just don't know if I like follow him. I think he's God. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts. Any podcast people here? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I won't ask the follow-up question if anybody listens to the nerdy podcast I listen to called Stuff You Should Know. Anybody listen to Stuff You Should Know? It's a lonely place up here right now. <laughs> Stuff You Should Know is it's a pretty good podcast for these super these two nerdy guys that I really love. Like they're funny and they, they're smart and they have, they just what the whole pro, the whole premise of the show is they talk about the most random things and they they teach you about it. Like they have an episode on the hyperloop and they have an episode on grave robbing and they have an episode on breast milk and like just the most <laughs> random things that, that are fascinating. And they did a couple weeks ago an episode on the Shroud of Turin. 
Anybody know what the Stroud of Turin is? Many Christians believe, it doesn't matter, our faith isn't based on this, but many Christians believe that this is the shroud they actually placed Jesus in the tomb in. There's actually like a, 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 an image of a man in blood. It's, it's pretty neat, actually. You should go look it up, but don't base your faith on it. But nonetheless, they're talking about the Shroud of Turin, and in it, one of the hosts, who just seems like a great guy, he goes, you know, I like Jesus. Like, I love Jesus. Like, he's just awesome. Like, he, no one, you know, and he, and he goes on this little rant about how good Jesus is. But then he says, well, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but, man, he's a good guy. Like, I just, I just like Jesus. And that's a common place that a lot of people find themselves in. And you might be here today. You might have that opinion. Like, I believe he was real. I believe people really believe in him. I believe he's a good guy. But here's what you can't do. You can't actually say Jesus was a good guy. And here's why. Because anybody who talked like Jesus did, if you actually take Jesus as a historical figure seriously, then you have to take what he said seriously. And if you take what he said seriously, you'll realize that nobody talks like that. If he is a good, if nobody who's just a good man says those types of things. There's this historian, this theologian who in 1860, a guy named John Duncan, called the, the, the question of Jesus the great trilemma. And he said this, that there are basically three options that you have when you think of Jesus. And you basically have three buckets that you can choose from when you make a decision about who he is. He is either A, he's, he either deceived mankind. He was either like this major league incredible liar who cooked up this crazy religion. And frankly... Even if you, like, like, have you ever read the Bible and the stuff that Jesus said? I remember, I remember talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, um, and he's like, he's, again, having questions and, and saying, I don't know if I believe this stuff. And I said, you know what? What do you even do with the Bible? Like, if Jesus isn't real, find me the person who wrote the stuff that they said he said, and I'll follow him. Right? Like, have you ever read the Bible? Like, is anybody that smart? Anyway, just, just an aside. That'll catch up later. So either A, Jesus deceived mankind, B, he himself was deceived and that he was a lunatic, or C, he really was who he said he was. But no option in there is, yeah, he's just a good guy out to do some good. It's not there because no one would talk the way he talked. He would say the most repulsive things. He would call himself God. He would say, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have no part of me. Like, he was brutal when you heard the things he said. Some of the things he said were so divisive. Like, they just cut to the heart of everything. And people, here's the thing. It wasn't being a really good man that got Jesus crucified. It was the fact that he claimed to be God. That's what got him crucified. Jesus overtly claimed to be God. This is why it's a, a dilemma. It's a trilemma. What do you believe of Jesus? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he Lord? C.S. Lewis said it the best. I've read this quote in our church before if you've come here for a while. But he says this in Mere Christianity. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say because a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. He would have been either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg it's like the 1930s humor. Or else he would be the devil of hell. He's either nuts or he's this maniacal manipulator. 
You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse, this crazy liar. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So for some of you right now, I think, I hope I'm unlocking a door in your head that you'll never shut. Because if you've had Jesus compartmentalized in your brain as he's just this nice man like Gandhi and like MLK, no, 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 no. He flat out said, I am God Almighty in the flesh. Bow down. That's how he talked. So who do you say he is? Jesus said, I am God. Look at what Jesus said next in our story in Matthew 16. Now, everything Jesus does, he doesn't ask questions because he needs the answer. He asks questions to set up a statement. And he actually was already working overtime to set up the statement he's about to make. I, I read at the start in verse 13 that it says that he had led them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, in the historical context, that place is loaded with significance. Why? Because Caesarea Philippi was actually a town that represented a few things. It was the convergence of the powers that be. There were several major power players that all laid stakes to to that city. They, there had been wars fought over it, and now it was Roman-occupied as, as a Roman-occupied uh, city. And so they had a major presence there. They actually were the ones that named it Caesarea Philippi. So it was a place of world powers. It was also a place, it was an actual economic center where it was like a trade center where all these different industries would meet and actually send out to the rest of the earth. And so it was this economic hotbed. But more than that, it was a religious hotbed. There were multiple religions that all laid significant claim to this city and this town because of actually this, this fountain, this spring that was within this cave system in Caesarea Philippi. You can still go there today. There's these waters inside this cave, and it actually flows out into a river. And so the Jews laid claim to it because they believed that the Jordan River, that's where it got its source from. And so it was a special place to them. There was also the Greeks, that their, their mythology. They believed that that's where the god Pan resided, and they worshipped Pan in in there. And in fact, they worshiped inside the caves, and there was a large pool inside the caves where they would throw sacrifices in, and there was such an undertow in this pool that it would actually swallow up. It would suck down the sacrifices. Pretty interesting. And the, the people who worshiped Pan called that place the gates of hell. They called it the gates of Hades. And then to top it off, the Romans had their own religious system. The Caesars believed, were believed to be God, and so they built their own temple. And there was also a temple of Artemis right there. It was just this religious hotbed, and it was on the backdrop of this that Jesus leads his disciples. Like he loads it, right? Like right over his shoulder is all of the options in the world for your worship. There's wealth, there's status, there's sex, there's religion. It's all right behind him in this beautiful backdrop, and he stands there, and he says... Who do people say I am? And they said, all right, I don't care what people say. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? What is he saying? He's standing there in stark contrast of all the small G gods of this world. And he says, make your mind. Make a decision. Look what happens next. Verse 15, what about you, he said. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. What's he saying? Peter says, You're the Christ. 
You are the son of the living God, which in their language, when we think of a son, we think of like a, a plan B. That's not what they're like, number two. That's not what that means. To be the son is to be on par. He's saying you are God in flesh is what Peter is declaring. And what does Jesus say? Aw, shucks, you don't need to say that. That's not what he said. He said, yup. Blessed are you. Because you, this has been revealed to you, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, by my Father in heaven. And look at this, verse 18, just, just for good measure. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Pan will not overcome it. That religion will not overcome it. Islam will not overcome it. Fear will not overcome it. The Greeks will not overcome it. The Romans will not overcome it. Your wealth, your wealth will not overcome it. Riches will not overcome it. What I'm about to do is going to be the, the, the most revolutionary thing that will, nothing will overcome it. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. And so Jesus makes this bold statement. Who do you say I am? Make a decision. I'm saying I'm God. But that wasn't his most bold statement. He was setting up yet another statement, and this is why we land here at Easter. Easter is the greatest thing that God has ever said. It is the boldest statement and the most beautiful statement that has ever been made. The story goes that Jesus, from this place, led his disciples for a little while longer, ends up in Jerusalem. He was already on his way to Jerusalem, and he ends up in Jerusalem. Look at this, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many, good, many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. He told them what he's about to do. It's like, hey, watch this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. So this shall never happen to you. Don't, you, you can't, don't die. Verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's a rough day. <laughs> you are a stumbling block to me. And again, he's not speaking to Peter there. He's speaking to the enemy. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You need to see this from God's perspective. What's about to happen is a God statement then Jesus said to his disciples, here it is. This is the invitation. He goes on record beforehand. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Amen. And that's the great statement and invitation of Easter. And so the story goes, and this is why we're here celebrating 2017 odd years later. The story goes that Jesus went to Jerusalem. He turned himself over to the Romans. The Jews, he let himself be had by the Jews. The Jews turned him over to the Romans, and, the, and Pontius Pilate gave the order. He was flogged, whipped, beaten, led up a street, nailed to a cross, bled and died, rose again in victory. And so this is the great statement. I want to I I illustrate this for you. Jesus, we've been talking, can you see that? We've been talking, and Jesus made statements about himself. In fact, not just with this account, but all through his ministry, he was calling himself different things to try to help you understand who this Jesus is. And he said at one point, I am the way and the truth. Another time he said, I'm the light of the world. 
One time he was feeding people and he said, you're hungry again because you're always hungry. And he says, I'm the bread of life and whoever eats of me will be satisfied and will never hunger again. Another time he was talking, uh, he said, uh, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom and salvation. He called himself at one point the gate of salvation. Another time he talked about him being the one to bring freedom to the captives. He talked about, I have come to defeat the enemy and his works. And then probably my favorite quote of Jesus in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that you would have life and life to the full. And then when he rose his friend Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so he made these claims about himself. But here's the, here's the hard part, and this is why you can't call Jesus a good man. Because Jesus made these claims about himself, he also made claims about you and me. And in the light of this, in the light of the light of the world, if Jesus is the way and the truth, he would say that you are lost. If he is the light of the world, he would say that you are blind. Ever find yourself bumping into situations and circumstances you didn't see it coming? It's not, you're not your eyes, your spirit. He would say that you're hungry. You ever wonder why you thought that job would satisfy you or you thought that relationship would satisfy you or you thought that raise would satisfy you and you're just always hungry? He also talked about the fact that we have a debt of sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. And, that, and this isn't a friendly word. This is a word Jesus would use. We're damned. The Bible talks about hell. It talks about judgment. The Bible also tells us, and Jesus said to us, that he came to free the captives. Who are the captives? You are the captive. You ever felt like no matter how hard you struggle, that thing always has you and that experience is just it's, you're bound to it. You're captive. We're defeated, Jesus says. There's an enemy in this world. Do you know that? That there's more than flesh and blood. There is spirit and there is an enemy and he hates you. The Bible says that Satan prowls like a roaring lion to devour you. And then the reality, and I don't care who you are, you know this is coming. And so the J Jesus makes this statement about himself, and then he makes this statement about who you are. And the great problem and the great distance between you and him, and the, the, frankly, the fact that left to ourselves, we will die. This is what he meant when he said, whoever would come after me must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. He's saying you must admit that you're lost, admit that you're blind, admit that you're hungry, admit that you're a sinner, admit that you're damned if, no, if he doesn't do anything about it, admit your captivity, admit your defeat, admit your death, and, and come to me, and this is what happens on the cross. On the cross is the place where he becomes me and you become he. And what he does, just stay with me for a second. This is where the way and the truth lost himself on your behalf. So as you come to him, 
you'll be found. This is where the light of the world went dark so that as he rose, he would give sight to the blind. This is where the bread of life was broken. One time he was leading communion. Well, this thing that we celebrate, and he broke the bread, it says, and he gave it and he said, this is my body broken for you. The bread of life was broken so that we would be satisfied. This is where our debt was paid. This is where we are saved. This is where we are set free. What a statement the cross is. You see, like if Jesus is just a man, it's just another man dying. But if he is who he says he is, this is the place of victory. And Easter is the story where God died so that you and I would be forever alive. So I'll just, I'll end with this question. That's the statement of Easter. And I, and I could preach, we, we preach on this every week. And I, and I know that's really quick, but you have to make a decision for yourself. Who do you say Jesus is? And he would pin that on you and say, if, you, if he is, if you believe he is who he, he says he is, if he's nothing, he's nothing. And you can go and you can live and you'll find out. The Bible does say that someday there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But if today you're like, you know what? No, he's nothing. He's nothing. But if you're sitting here and there's something stirring in your spirit and you're saying, no, 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 he's not nothing. There's something to this. Well, here's the deal. Jesus says, if I'm something, then I must be everything. And you lay your life down and you die to yourself so you can receive what the cross and what Easter has bought you, a new life, freedom, joy, peace, purpose, meaning, salvation, forgiveness. It all comes in Jesus. So who do you say he is? I, I know it's my job because I'm the preacher. But if I can just be Brent and just be a guy for a second, like, Jesus never expected you to believe because some guy gave some great historical evidence for Jesus. Listen, nobody ever gets arm wrestled into believing. When, when, when Peter said, you're the Christ, what did he say? He said, yeah, you're super smart because you believe that. No, he said, this has been revealed to you from above. It's something God does in your spirit. This is why the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm not here to explain to you that Jesus is who he says he is. I could never. But what I can do, if I can just be a guy for a second, and I deal with doubt because I wasn't there. I wasn't one of the disciples. I wasn't there when he taught. I wasn't there when he performed miracles. I wasn't there when he he fed the thousands. I wasn't there when he went into Jerusalem riding on a donkey to praises of Hosanna. I wasn't there on the last night where he had that meal with his friends. I wasn't there when he's betrayed with a kiss. I wasn't there. I wasn't there when they took him in and they flogged his back till there was nothing left of it. I, I didn't see it with my eyes. I didn't see when the crowd, with, when they were given the chance to let him go, I didn't see when they yelled crucify him. And I wasn't there to be one of them that would have been yelling crucify him too, and so would have you. 
And I wasn't there when they took him up the hill. I wasn't there when they laid him down on a cross and nailed his hands on it. I wasn't there when they raised him up and he bled. And with his last breath, he yelled, it is finished. And I wasn't there when they took him down. I wasn't there when they wrapped his body. I wasn't there when they put him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. I didn't see when they rolled the, the stone over it. I didn't see with my own eyes the angels that came and broke him out and he rose in victory. I didn't see it with my own eyes. I wasn't there with the disciples when they were so jubilant of the fact that he's not dead, he's alive. I didn't see it. But I stand here today, not someone who witnesses, but I can testify to it. He's risen. Amen. He's alive. And the cross is just as potent and just as powerful today as it was that day. My eyes have been touched. I was blind and now I see. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was a sinner and now I'm covered in grace. I was lost and now I'm found. Jesus has done that for me. And I just want to ask you, let me just pin this on you. Who do you say that he is? Is he just a man? Or is he Lord? Lord. Who do you say he is?